Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another Incredible, amazing, and uh, uh, immigrant story okay. episode of FNO InsureTech with your co-host, Lee Boyd, and your other co-host, Rob Beller. That's that me. Guy. That hey, guy. Hey, buddy. Hey, how are you? I'm great. We've I'm great. Made it, we've made it to our next episode. Yeah, over 100 <laughs> of these. Over 100. Don't rub it in. It's a lot. I wonder how many people have listened to every episode. More than beside, one. Beside me. More I've than to every I listen to as a as a QC, I listen to every single episode before it's published. Um, we have a great episode today. Speaking, Why? Speaking of the gig economy. Oh, gig economy. Big fan. Gig, Big fan. Gig, gig economy. Now there's something that COVID has taken by the throat and shook around. Oh, yeah. And I mean, think about all the things you're doing with the gig economy now. You're getting food delivered, groceries delivered. I mean, they, they were only really drivers a lot of times, but the gig economy is there, and it's there to help us through this time. I remember early on being in the grocery store and seeing all these people walking around with carts and, and looking on their phones <laughs> and you know studying their phone, being very involved with their phone and their shopping <laughs> cart very rude and i didn't realize at the time what they were doing is is they were instacart people right yeah they're they were working shop, they were they were they were working they were buying yeah. growth they were loading up their cart on behalf of a customer right and now companies like instacart and doordash and whatnot grubhub are covid was one of the best things that ever happened to them if you will if so you to will. speak right and um but the, but then there's the other side Mm -hmm. The Uber driver, yeah. The Lyft driver, black car drivers, anybody involved in tourism and transportation, right? Professional drivers, professional drivers, devastated. And today we have on one of the people who's involved in insuring that whole segment. Yeah, we have Dan on. Now I can't say Dan's last name, but we'll have Dan say his last name here in a little bit. Dan is on with Insure. He's the CEO and co-founder of Insure. And he's going to come on today and talk to us all about the, the gig economy and how they're getting insurance and his strategic partnerships with, with Uber and things like that. I'm very excited to talk to him about, you know, what is going on in this space? Where does he see it going? He's a very interesting person with a very interesting and needed technology. Right. And how they've built and are building tech to make it frictionless and easy for the professional driver to be insured, his inspiration around it, and just life in general. I'm excited. Let's hop on into our podcast today. Okay, so we'll stop chatting it up, Cheer and we'll up. chat Dan up. And Dan is, we'll let Dan say his last name, CEO and co-founder of Insure. Hey, everybody. We are here with our special guest, and because he's giving me a hard time about how I'm saying his name, I'm going to say his first name, which I'm 
absolutely expert at, and he's going to say his last name. So we are here with our very special guest, and that is Dan Bratchfuss, welcome, CEO and co-founder of Insure. First of all, thanks so much for being with us today. Where do we find you today? I'm in uh, Long Island, New York. Long Island, New York. I've been there once. Yeah? What did you think of Long Island? It was long. Not as long as I thought, but it's pretty long. It's long and it's an island. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You're here not to talk gibberish with us, but rather to talk about Insure that you co-founded and that you're the CEO of. That's a big deal. Tell us what the heck is Insure and what do you guys do? Insure is an insurance MGA. We're also operating as a TPA right now, and we focus on drivers that power the global economy. So right now we insure lots of rideshare drivers in a few different markets globally. We're live in New York. We also have an MGA in the UK, and we just recently launched a product in the Netherlands as well. So I think we're a bit unique from, from other insurtechs in that we were sort of global by design from the very early days. Yeah, that's very unusual and interesting. I mean, you would think that if you started in, with a U.S. focus, you would, you know, move from market to market or state to state. That's a very unusual twist. Tell us about that. It's a great question. I think we've been focusing on the rideshare opportunity. Uber, Uber is a channel partner of ours. We work very closely with them. New York, obviously, a huge market, followed by London. So it sort of made sense to follow on to, to London after New York. We have global capacity partners we work with. So Munich Re is a great partner of ours. They provide a worldwide capacity. We also work with another capacity partner, Wacom, over in Europe. It made sense. And actually, we... We love the regulations in Europe. They're very different from the U.S. And I could talk hours and hours about why. You mean more friendly to your company, so to speak? I don't want to say friendly, but it's it's different. And uh, it definitely fosters innovation in some respects versus the regulatory model we have in the U.S. with state-based regulation. There's some advantages to being on both sides of the Atlantic. So what is a person when they're going to your app and getting insurance through you, what are they getting? Is it for their their personal vehicle just all day long or only whenever they're driving for a third-party company like Uber? So we provide the primary commercial coverage at all times for drivers in New York, in the UK, in Netherlands. Drivers log on to their platform. They can log in with their credentials on their rideshare platforms. They could log in with their Uber app. We use a lot of the data, traditional underwriting data for for pricing and underwriting those policies, along with some of this alternative data we get from uh, our partners such as Uber. And then we provide this this primary commercial coverage where we cover the vehicle both for personal use and for commercial use of, of that vehicle. And there's obviously optional physical damage coverage as well. So is that something that they'll pick every time they start driving or is it a yearly plan? How does that work? Does it switch on when they switch on and turn off when they turn off kind of thing? It, it's on at all times and we have different products. And, you know, to your question, Lee, you know, we have annual products in the U.S. and we have shorter term policies, flexible coverage in, in Europe. And that's one of the, you know, one of the ways that the regulation is a little bit different. So we're able to offer policies that range from seven days all the way to 365 and drivers can select the term of their coverage. But it's not an on-off type of thing. Like we're we're providing the coverage at all times. We look at the usage of the vehicle and we take that into account. We're coming up with the, with the price for the next term. 
Um, but it's not like an on off type of coverage. We're on the hook at all times. So you started in New York, which has got to be one of Uber's top markets in the country. My son lives in the city and I mean, you can't cross the street without being hit by like four Ubers, you know, while you're doing that. Hopefully, hopefully not our customers. Hopefully not. (laughs) They are all good drivers. (laughs) I'll keep that in mind next time I'm there. Did you deliberately start in New York? Was that by design? Um, Tell us about that. Was it based on demand? I'd like to say it's by design, but it's in, you know, a market that I understood pretty well. I was in that space in New York. You know, I, I saw the problem firsthand. So I got to see Uber drivers trying to get insurance coverage and the way that they had to go about this seemed very barbaric to me. And obviously the, the drivers thought it was pretty old school as well. Um, so drivers literally had to go to uh, specialty agents and brokers, walk up flights of stairs, fill out stacks of paperwork and wait weeks on end just to try to get a quote. The original idea at the time was, you know, can we build like a kayak-like search engine that allowed yeah. the drivers to quickly and easily get coverage? That's sort of what we did in in uh, middle of 2016, early 2017. What we uh, realized fairly early on is that working with traditional insurance companies was problematic. So the way I like to describe it is we built a, a tech stack on top of fax machines. So we would sell sell the policy on the sexy front end, but on the back end, we still have the fax pieces of paper over. Right. Um, and we decided, you know what, we, we have to change the way we do business. So we became an MGA. We found capacity partners to work with, and it's been sort of history ever since. So this year, we also took claims in-house. Um, so it's been quite an evolution, I would say. Yeah. yeah, that's a big pivot, right? You went from a shopping site of sorts, the middleman between the insured and the insurer, to doing it yourself. Tell us about what that was like. Did you wake up one day and say, oh gosh, we're, we're going about this the wrong way? Tell us about that pivot. Yeah, I think um, it's more about what our customers demanded. So um, cheers, <laughs> Rob Cricket for you. It's more around what our customers, the needs that we saw from our customers, right? We wanted to be control of the product. We wanted to be control of the, the types of coverage that we offered our customers. And, you know, we want to be in control of the claims experience as well, because at the end of the day, that's what insurance is, right? So we're we're promising to pay a claim sometime in the future. And if, if you're reliant upon, you know, different vendors to, to cobble together all these different products, you don't really get sort of the, the, the type of product that we felt comfortable offering our customers. And so we decided, you know, this is really core and strategic to what we wanted to offer our customers. And we wanted to be in control of the product, the coverage, and the claims experience, and the technology platform itself. So that's kind of where we went. So whenever somebody is going out to buy auto insurance for a, a ride share like Uber, are all the policies the same or different insurance companies offering different coverages? Or are they all, you know, you got in a wreck, we'll fix your car. Is there something different out there? Yeah, so I think maybe just to clarify, like the markets that we're in, we're after professional drivers right now that need to get commercial coverage. So typically these drivers aren't buying Geico and Allstate type policies. They're buying commercial coverage that's mandated for, you know, these professional type of drivers. So New York happens to be a market like that. Um, Europe is is regulated this way as well. So the the coverage does differ, but uh, typically the the regulator sets sort of the minimum levels of coverage. We've come up with some uh, interesting sort of coverages for our drivers, and there's obviously flexible options that we offer to the drivers as well. 
I was watching a YouTube video and it showed like three different services, like maybe a silver, gold, and platinum. And I, I think that video was two years ago. Is that still done? Part of the thing about insurance is like, I'm in the insurance business and a lot of times, like I don't understand my coverage. Like I, I recently had a, a homeowner's claim. We had a tree fall down and like, I couldn't figure out who was at fault, whose policy would pick it up, even though this is something I do day in and day out. And so yeah, sure. what we try to do is just try to be very clear and simple around what our policy does and does not cover. And so we, we went with this tier approach where we make it super simple for drivers to understand what is the difference between the types of policies that we offer and then compare and contrast those different coverages. You guys are venture backed, correct? Yes, that's right. And one of your backers is Munich Re. Can you tell us why is that important or special? I know that Munich Re is very active in the insure tech world. Talk for a minute, if you can, about what it's like working with them and having them on your, on your side, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a few great funds backing us. Munich Re is one of our partners, both on the capacity end and also on the venture investment side as well. It's a strategic investment on their part. Um, so they help us with not only distribution support, but also their sort of in investment partners of ours as well. They're part of the team. They sit on our board and they really understand the insurance, insurtech landscape really, really well. We have two other funds, MTech Capital and uh, Viola Fintech on our side as well. Really couldn't be happier with sort of the partners that we have on both the, the capacity side and also on the investment side. And they provide a lot of guidance and advice. This is my first startup, so it's always great to have people helping you along the way. What is it like starting up a company and deciding you need or want to go down this venture back side? I, I guess eventually you're like, hey, I need more money to do my job. Is that kind of how it goes? You know, in our case, I think there's a standard evolution for, for how these things develop, right? So you have, you go to friends and family for your initial sort of MVP product. And then you realize, you know what, we, we're going to need a bit more money to get this off the ground and get this product to scale. And you, you start approaching different venture funds and they all sort of focus on different stages of the startup. It's been quite a learning experience for us and the team, but that's really the journey that most entrepreneurs go through. Well, tell us about you. Where do you come from? How the heck did you end up here? What happened? Tell us about the sequence. I sort of landed in insurance by accident, I think. Probably a lot of folks end up in insurance by accident. I started my career on Wall Street. I studied technology and computer science. That's sort of my background. I was working on Wall Street. I was working at Merrill Lynch. And after the crash, I uh, got an opportunity to work in a little family-owned insurance agency that somebody in my family had invested in. I decided to give it a shot. And it was like this entrepreneurial thing in my mind saying like, oh, this could be interesting. And I came to this agency and it turned out that it was, you know, for me, it was a complete sort of culture shock coming from the background I came from. You know, the thing I remember first was when I stepped into this, this insurance agency, there was, do you remember like the wood panel walls that were very popular in like the eighties? Absolutely. So like this place was covered in wood panel walls and it had that like smell and this place is still <laughs> around in the city. Um, it was just like filing cabinets everywhere. And so um, it, it was a complete sort of culture shock to me, but it was sort of opportune in that this was right around the time when Uber and Lyft and Via and Get and all these other rideshare companies started to get really, really popular in New York. And I would sort of witness these drivers coming in saying like, hey, we need insurance. We need this commercial insurance. How can I get this? It just felt like such a barbaric experience that, you know, 
there wasn't a light bulb moment. It was like, there has to be a better way to do this. Yeah. And so for me, like my family are immigrants. A lot of these drivers are sort of immigrants and they've been taken advantage of in a lot of ways. This is their first profession that they get into to the country. And this is sure. how you get to the American dream. And we yeah. wanted to really offer just a fair and transparent process where nobody really had to jump through hoops. We still have that in mind, right? It's all about just giving the customer a fair price and a great service and just being, you know, very simple and easy to deal with and just being fair and transparent in our, in our underwriting. So that's your light bulb moment. I think it might have taken some time, but you're like, Barbaric, what did you bring from Wall Street? I mean, was it just a, a merger of, of the two worlds saying, I know insurance has to be done. It doesn't have to be barbaric, but we did some really cool, fascinating things on Wall Street. Let's just merge them. Is that kind of how it worked? Probably not a lot of overlap with what I was doing on Wall Street. I think that that's sort of the beauty of technology, like the building blocks are all sort of the same. This was around the time when obviously these drivers who were using smartphones and apps for their living, they're in a living. The original idea at the time was like, let's build an app that allowed these drivers to quickly go through the underwriting process. So the idea at the time was, you know, you scan a picture of your driver license and you scan the barcode and we go off and we run your background checks. And, you know, the, the original vision was sort of like, no questions asked, you know, almost like we know everything about you before you even tell us so that you don't have to answer thousands and thousands of questions, which which mm-hmm. I think is still the case with a lot of insurance products. And I, and I think that's really what, you know, technology brought to the table is that ability to seamlessly underwrite and issue these policies in a very seamless sort of digital way. Let's talk about where you are again. <clears throat> You're in New York, the Netherlands and UK. It almost sounds like a joke. What do they have in, all have in common? I don't know other than they they insure. You know, they're all probably struggling with COVID. And we want to talk about COVID in a minute, but tell us how you got from we're going to start this and you pivoted to we're going to jump overseas instead of going from New York to maybe Chicago or, you know, building out the US. For us, it seemed like a very natural progression. Our My co-founder, David, is based in the UK. So we, we had a, a team out there. London is the second biggest ride share market um, after New York. So it just seemed like a very logical progression. And we had Munich Re providing capacity for us. Um, and I was actually very interested in sort of the regulatory model that they had in, in Europe, which is obviously very different than we have in, in the U.S., it allows us to to really create some interesting products out there. So it felt like a very natural progression at the time. Although looking back on it, I can see how people may say like, oh, that's a little bit weird. To start a company or expand to another country, you've got to, I mean, you have to have people who know how to work internationally, right? International business people. Is that something you knew how to do or did you have to go out and find people? Yeah, I mean, we, we sort of figured it out. Again, we had some boots on the ground in the UK, so it wasn't like we we're going into completely new new territory. But in Netherlands, like we didn't have any folks on the ground. We just hired our first employee there. And it's all about, you know, having a team that can help you launch these products and getting the right advice. And so we, we've been able to manage those waters. So you're not after like somebody like Lee, who, you know, when he has some spare time, he turns on his Uber app and he drives around you know, for 45 minutes and picks up a couple people for a few extra bucks. That's not who you're after, correct? That's not who we're after yet. Right now, we're after the professional drivers that are doing this full time, that are, this is their profession. Okay. Is that how you would define a professional driver by somebody who has made a full-time commitment to it? 
Yeah, I would say somebody that does this, you know, 25 hours plus a week, somebody that's relying on this income to kind of put food on the table, that those are the drivers that the current product is for at the moment. But we are looking to expand into a couple of different new verticals. You know, in a few months time, we're launching a new uh, delivery product for both food and parcel delivery. That's going to be first in the UK and we'll bring that to the US as well. But really, we're going after professional drivers that sort of power the global economy. So ride share and, and delivery fits fits there. Well, I just recently listened to a piece on the delivery service world in China. It's incredible. I mean, there's these enormous services and people work full time, you know, in their own car, just delivering packages. Really? So, uh, oh yeah, I'm sure we'll see that more so in the United States and elsewhere as time goes by. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Is that going on now? I mean, there's a company just down the street, they have a truck maybe FedEx, and it's a independently owned FedEx truck. Yeah. I guess it's starting to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you take a look at what Amazon is doing, um, they're, they're essentially creating these little franchises uh, where they go off and, you know, purchase a fleet of 10, 20 vehicles. And these vans are, I mean, they're in front of my house more, more times a day than I'd like. And so, you know, I think the pandemic has sort of accelerated the shift. I think the, the global macro view is that like how goods and people and things move from point A to point B is becoming much more digital. And if we as an tech are able to plug into those different digital platforms and use that data to price and underwrite the insurance and actually make it based on usage rather than just like, oh, you pay $10,000 a year. That's really the, the end state that we're looking to get to. Yeah, and distribution is an interesting thing. So it must be, I think you said that Uber, or you have a partnership with Uber. Tell us about that and how you got that and what that provides. We have a relationship with Uber. They help us distribute the product. We provide proof of coverage when drivers purchase policies from us. And we work quite closely to make sure that, you know, when we build these and distribute these products, this is something that helps their drivers as well. So I would say we have a very symbiotic relationship. And isn't that what Uber really wants is to make it as easy as possible, as quick as possible to get somebody out there driving safely, accurately, insured appropriately? Uh, you know, and that, that, that's really what they're looking for. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and if we can create custom products that allow us to differentiate our pricing based on the driver does, you know, 1,000 trips a month versus someone that does 100 trips a month. Um, that's sort of the, the end state that everyone is going for in, in the insurance space. So let's talk about the tech for a minute, mm-hmm. um, which we haven't really hit on yet. Because um, as, as Lee might have forgotten, this is an insure tech podcast. Yeah, yeah. Lee. Okay. yeah my insure bad. Tech. My tech. bad. Tech. Talk about the tech. And I'm sure that if you're looking to take out friction, it has to be super easy. If you make it complicated at all, they probably move on to the next option that they have for insurance. So talk about the tech and what you've done. You said you have a computer background. Tell us about, at a high level, you know, what you've done, what you've created here. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we've built from the ground up a proprietary next-gen sort of underwriting platform. Um, that's, that's really what we started with uh, at first. So, you know, it's a platform that has a couple different components. So we have an underwriting engine, we have a rating engine, and we've now recently taken claims in-house. So there's modules for taking in first notice of loss and adjusting claims. 
Yeah, it's, I would say, you know, if, if you think about all of the functions that an insurance company has, we've sort of built, you know, our features to, to be able to service these customers fully from front to back. So from the time they're thinking about buying a policy, getting a quote from us, getting that quote on a, on a mobile responsive website or an app, to the time that they, God forbid, have a claim and they need to, you know, get reimbursed for you know, property damage that they've had to their vehicle, that all flows through our platform that we built in-house. And um, that's taken probably the, the most amount of time and, and know-how from our team. And if you look at how, how we're distributed as a company, you know, most of our folks are actually engineers that are uh, investing into this platform. Talk about the claim side, like <laughs> God forbid a claim, which I'm sure you're, you meant very seriously, but you have to be dealing with claims a lot. It has to be a common problem. Well, I wouldn't say it's a problem. It's just the nature of the business, right? It's, uh, this is the line of business business that we're in is, is high frequency, right? So there's, you know, these drivers are on the road, um, many, many hours a day. And as a result, the exposure goes up. If you actually look at how many accidents they have per hour on the road, they're actually very, very safe. But as a function of the number of hours they're on the road, it just this is the function of the business that they're in. Claims is something we brought in-house this year, starting in New York. It's taken a lot of time and investment on our part to bring that in-house, but ultimately we thought this is strategic to what we offer our customers, right? So totally. At the end of the day, we, we're selling them a promise to pay a claim, and we have to stand behind that promise. And we invested uh, quite a bit into launching this new product and team. You know, we, we've had to set up as a third-party administrator. We've had to get licenses in several states. We've had to find qualified adjusters. We had to invest in the technology platform and really, you know, scope out what this process would look like for the driver that has, you know, first-party damage versus third-party liability damage. Yeah, it's, it's complex. And the way I like to describe claims is like how the sausage is made in insurance. Nobody really wants to know how it's made, but this is like, this is what we're selling at the end of the day. And we want it to be in control of it. Absolutely. Yeah. As people who work on the claim side of thing, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it's the heavy lifting part. And I think the other part of the story here is, you know, we're, we're trying to build a next gen platform that allows us to distribute new and innovative insurance products to uh, professionals, right? And so in order to do that, we need lots of rich data. Um, and so if part, and part of this data is, is obviously claims. So, um, you know, building your underwriting models, it's sort of a chicken and the egg exercise, right? First, you need right. the claims in order to be able to create these underwriting models. And so being able, being in control of our claims are, allows us to have all this rich data that allows us to perfect our underwriting models and get so- our pricing even better over time. How is that going? Is that working for you? So far, yeah. I mean, we've we've cut down the number of days it takes to process claims. Right. We're kind of in a weird period right now because with the pandemic, frequency has, has really gone down. So I'd like to say it's, it's a result of us bringing claims in-house, but I, I can't take all the credit there. No. I, I want to talk about the pandemic. You're one of those companies that you're cruising along on whatever trajectory you were on, and you're probably sitting around in January saying, gosh, guys, we've got to really complete all these great plans we have for 2020. Things are taking off. Bada bing, bada boom. And then March comes and April comes and no one's driving. I'm guessing pretty much many of these professional drivers are more or less out of business. T- talk about what that experience was like and how you dealt with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So first thing that I will say is, you know, the rideshare community has been very hard hit by what's happening in the world. You know, the world itself has been hard hit, but I think especially the rideshare community, obviously tourism uh, and travel is taking a dip. For a lot of our customers, they rely on this income as as their sole source of, um, you know, ability to put food on the table. So it's really, really a very challenging period of time. You know, for us, we've had to, we treat it as a crisis because it was a crisis and we quickly came up with solutions to be able to help our customers. So by dropping prices, by switching to, you know, different flexible options, we we allowed uh, our customers to kind of save costs, really be able to survive to, to come back from this. And so we are starting to see sort of business return back to pre-pandemic levels. Because we're a global business, we kind of see things popping back up in a different timescale. So for example, the UK just recently had a lockdown and they came out of the lockdown. And so now we yeah. travel, whereas in New York, it's been a little bit more of a roller coaster ride. You know, we were hard hit back in uh, March and April. And now, you know, things are opening up a little bit and now it's starting to kind of ebb and flow a bit more. So yeah, I mean, we, we've had to respond to, to the situation as best as we can. We do see that, you know, business is starting to return back to, to normal levels in some of the areas that we're in. And the flip side of that for us is that, you know, definitely claims has taken a dip as well, right? So, you know, people, yeah. there's less vehicles on the road, there's less miles traveled, so the exposure goes down. Sure. And I would think even if you have as many people driving full time, they're still driving less because there's just less riders, less demand. That's right. And, and, you know, going into the delivery vertical for us is sort of a natural progression because a lot of these drivers have switched to other means to earn food, earned income, right? So, um, you know, these drivers have done food delivery and, and parcel and package delivery. And so for us, it's just a natural progression to go with the types of customers that, you know, we, we really know and understand really well. You know, a, a lot of them have switched to some of these other lines of work to be able to survive during this terrible time. I mean, and what a market, you know, food delivery, that's not going anywhere, right? Nobody is like, man, I can't wait for this thing to be over where I can't have food delivered right to my house at the moment I want it. Like that's here, grocery delivery. I never thought about having my groceries delivered. It was one thing just to go pick it up at the store, but now it just shows up. My parents both had COVID and <laughs> instead of... I guess the nice thing I would have said is, hey, what can I get you? But I said, I said, y'all know how to order groceries, right? So that they can just bring them right to your house. Like that's not going anywhere. So I think it's a huge market. And that makes me ask, you know, what is the the roadmap for you? Is it to stay within this this professional driver market? Is it to stay there or is it to go into other markets? And then are you looking to go into other countries? I mean, what what is the the dream of a of a roadmap look like for you? You know, again, just stepping back a bit, our, our hypothesis is that the world is becoming much more digital. So how goods and people move from point A to point B has undergone a lot of a lot of shift. And we see that in rideshare. We see that with delivery. For us, we're going to be expanding into a, a number of different verticals in this sort of commercial auto space. So we understand wheels really well. Uh, we understand claims when it comes to wheels really well. You know, there's obviously more sort of well-known insurtechs going after the personal lines market, homeowners, lemonade, personal insurance with with Root now as well. We're focused on the commercial commercial line of business quite a bit. Um, and so we'll be launching new products within the commercial auto space. We're going to be expanding geographically and, and product line as well and investing back into that technology platform that we talked about earlier on. 
Sure, and gig economy is an enormous boom for the commercial world, for certainly yeah. for the commercial insurance world, since each individual person is now a, a business entity, right? Absolutely. If you kind of think about what these commercial lines is, uh, how, how they're different from maybe some of the personal lines is, you know, number one, most of it is analog. Most of it still requires an agent or a broker. And, you know, that experience I had early on in my career with the wood panel walls, that is sort of the st standard normal way of transacting business in the commercial space. It's all about the forms and fax machines. And so I think we can build a lot of change and you know, make, make the process simpler and easier through technology. The other thing difference is it's very fragmented. So, you know, in the personal space, you have, you know, Geico and State Farm and Allstate and all these brand name insurers um, going after these customers. In the commercial world, uh, it, it's a super fragmented place. And you, you don't really see like those, you know, those massive insurance companies. Progressive obviously has a, a big stake in this in this market, but it is a lot more fragmented than what you see. And I think we can bring a really quality service to a lot of these small businesses and professionals. Well, listen, we have <laughs> used up all of our time here and we really appreciate this. This is so interesting, such an interesting world. And you're such an interesting guy. I mean, we didn't even really talk about your journey as an immigrant to the United States. So we'll have to do that the next time we have you on when, when you guys to expand back. to Shanghai or wherever the heck you're going next to the heck knows. We thank you very much for being with us, Dan. And we're going to let you, and, and that's Dan Bratchfuss. <laughs> you heard there you it. Go. You heard it right here. Co-founder and CEO of Insure. Thanks, and uh, come back and see us again. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. What a fun podcast that was. Yeah, it looked like a great time on the screen here. <laughs> in, in fact, one of the things that I learned from that podcast is we should always have beers during a podcast. Yeah, you know, beers sounds like a weird word to me. Why? Beer. Beers. I don't know. Uh, just the multiple beer, of beers sounds I guess weird. Beer, beer could also be, we drank a bunch of beer. Yeah, we had a lot of beer. We had a lot of beer. a lot of beer? It could be plural. It could be singular, right? I, I would know. like to have a beer, but then you have a qualifier in front of it when you put the A there. Yeah. It's like, like moose and meese. Mooses? None of this have, having anything to do with Dan. No. Co-founder and CEO of Insure. What a great podcast. I was nervous because sometimes when we do podcasts that are a little bit off of our uh, beaten path, mm -hmm. I get nervous. But Dan was a great guest, a really smart guy, and a really interesting company. Well, it's a great company. And I love the stories of, even though he said they didn't have an aha moment, I mean, he, he went into this uh, antiquated agency <laughs> with the with the wood paneling, which is exactly how my grandparents' insurance agency was wood paneling with with file cabinets everywhere. And he said, "There's got to be a, a better way. There's got to be something different." And sure enough, I mean, whenever you're selling insurance to these uh, technology savvy professional drivers, well, they're not going to drive to the wood panel agency. They need to do it on their phone. They need to be able to get it quickly. And he has a, he has a great a great market. Uh, and, it, and and what a nice guy. What a nice guy. You know, we had Bold Penguin on recently, and, and we've hit more on commercial insurers and commercial mm -hmm. insurance, Slice Labs, et cetera. And um, when you consider what 
the gig economy is doing to the uh, supply and demand curve for commercial insurance. I mean, every single driver is an independent contractor or a business owner, if you will, and they have a need for a policy. So the demand out there is stunningly growing and a company like Insure has hit on that. I think it's important to know too that they're all very, very busy, right? They're not sitting behind their desk and going to call their insurance agent. They're on the road. They're driving. They're moving. They are self-employed people in this commercial world. So they have to be able to get their coverage quickly. And what a disruptive market. And maybe I guess for so long, I've thought about the, the personal side and how it's being disrupted, but it seems like this commercial side has huge opportunity to be disruptive. Absolutely. And it sounds like they're, you know, very tech forward, harvesting their own data now, mm-hmm. handling claims, really interesting, and doing it in three different countries, not three different cities or three different states. That's crazy. That's crazy. crazy. Talk. Very interesting. So we thank Dan very much for being with us and yeah. invite him to come back anytime, particularly if he's buying the beer next time. Yeah. Or beers. Beers, beers. or beer? Well, just one beer, because you're the oh. only one who had a beer. Yeah, I did. I had a beer. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might have another one. What the heck? Yeah, live this a is little. This podcast. I can do whatever the heck I want to. You do whatever you want to. You do thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, we thank you for being with us today. Yeah. And thanks to Lee for being with us. And please come be with us next time when we have another fascinating, enthralling, entertaining episode of FNO InsureTech. And with that, we'll say... Goodbye, everybody.